Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to continue to talk about the power of the blood of Jesus and the thought that I want to bring before you today is this, and that is that the blood still speaks. That the blood of Jesus still speaks. How many of you know there's still power in the blood of Jesus? Amen. Now I've asked you to go to Genesis chapter 4 because before we can go forward this morning, like we did last week, before we can go forward to where we're going to end up today, we've got to first of all go backwards. Last week, we went back to the bloodiest book in the Bible. We went back to the book of Leviticus. This morning, we're going to go even further back than that. We're going back to the book of Genesis. And even though I've asked you to go to Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to actually begin in chapter 3, but you just hold your Bibles there to chapter 4. And today, we're not going to the bloodiest book in the Bible, but we are going to look at one of the bloodiest stories in the Bible. But, but before we look at that bloody story, let me, let me just give you a little bit of background so that you can have a better understanding of where we're headed today. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, God has created Adam and Eve and he's put them in the Garden of Eden. And he's told them that you can eat from every tree in the garden except one, which was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And of course, as we go to Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve succumb to the temptation of the devil and they eat the forbidden fruit. And God said that the moment that you disobey and eat from that tree that I told you not to eat from, you're going to surely die. And they did not die a physical death immediately, but they did die a spiritual death immediately because that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God and spiritual death is separation from God. And after they had sinned, the Bible says that Adam and Eve were ashamed and noticed that they were naked. Now now they had been naked up until this point, but there was no shame that came with that. There was no guilt that came with that. But, But after they sinned, They saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. They were guilty. And they did what a lot of us try to do sometimes when we sin. They tried to hide and they tried to cover up their sin. The Bible says that they took fig leaves and they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. That's a picture of man trying to cover his sins on his own. It's a picture of justification by works rather than justification by faith in the blood of Jesus. And God comes into the garden and of course they're hiding from him, but the Lord speaks and the Lord cries out to them saying, where are you? They, they, they come out of hiding and they said, we were, we were afraid because we were naked. And the Lord said, who told you that you were afraid? Of course, now they've got this voice of of the enemy whispering in their ear. They're they're experiencing emotions that they've never experienced up until this time before, shame and guilt and, 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 and separation from God. 
And so God then begins to pronounce the curse as a result of their sin that the ground is now going to produce thorns and and thistles, that it's not going to be as easy for Adam to grow his crops as it once was. And and, and now that Eve, that, that women, when they give birth to children, that there would be great pain associated with childbirth. And, and then he got to the, the, the enemy, to the serpent, and he said, on your belly you're going to crawl for the rest of your days, and the seed of a woman, Christ, is going to be at, at enmity with you, and you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And then God does something very unusual. Don't think it had happened up until this point, but God kills two animals, probably lambs. He kills two animals and he takes the skins from those animals and he covers Adam and Eve with the skins of those animals that had been slain. And what God is establishing right in the very beginning is the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. That man is not justified by his works. Man is justified by faith in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Justified by faith in the blood of Jesus. Now it should not surprise us now that Adam and Eve are dysfunctional and have a fractured relationship. It should not surprise us that when they have children that that dysfunction is just passed along to their children. How many of you know that dysfunction has a way of hanging around for a while in generations? Anybody this morning got any dysfunction in your family? If you say you don't, you're lying. We all have some dysfunction in our families, don't we? And so when we come to Genesis chapter four, it says that Adam made love to his wife Eve. Your Bible probably says Adam knew his wife Eve. And she conceived. Well, this is what it means for Adam to know his wife, in case you're wondering. It says that Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And then verse 2 said, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And it says that Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer. Now, I believe that when God told Eve that the seed of woman was going to crush the head of the serpent, that Eve probably thought that she was the woman and that one of her boys was going to be the one who would crush the head of the serpent and bring victory over the enemy. And so she was probably thinking, maybe, maybe with Cain, because she said, with the help of the Lord, uh, he has given me a son. And she probably thought that this is the son that is going to deliver us. This is the son that is going to bring salvation. This is the, 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 the son that's gonna crush the head of the enemy. But the Bible didn't say the seed of Eve, it said the seed of woman is going to crush the head. And 4,000 years later, through a a, a union between a little lady by the name of Mary and the Holy Spirit, there was one conceived, and when he came forth, he would be the one. Jesus would be the one who would crush the head 
of the serpent, but Eve had it in her mind that one of her boys was going to be that person. How many of you have ever had something in mind that didn't materialize the way that you thought? It was going to materialize and and things didn't work out the way that Eve thought that they were gonna work out. It says that she had a son by the name of Cain, another son by the name of Abel. Abel was a shepherd, he kept flocks, and Cain was a farmer who worked the soil. Now I'm gonna show you a passage of scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and stay with me this morning while we work this out. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said it is written that the first man, Adam, became a living soul, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Notice he talks about two Adams, not just one. And he says that the first Adam was uh, or became a living soul, but the last Adam, the last Adam is Jesus. The last Adam is Christ. And then he goes on in verse 47, and he said that first Adam was from the earth. He's earthy. But the last Adam is from heaven, from heaven. Now, what I want you to see is I want you to see that Cain is a picture of the first Adam, his father, but Abel is a picture of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Abel was a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd and the chief shepherd. Abel brought an animal sacrifice, including the shedding of blood, and his sacrifice was accepted by God. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and was accepted by God. Abel was hated by his brother. Jesus was hated by his brethren. Abel was killed without cause by his brother. Jesus was killed without cause by his brethren. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. So Abel is a shadow. Abel is a type of the second Adam, the the, the last Adam, but Cain. He is a shadow. He is, he's like his father, Adam, as we're going to see here in just a few moments. Let's pick the story back up here in Genesis 4, 1 and 12. I guess you could also say that Cain represents the old covenant. Abel represents the new covenant. Keep that in mind. That, that's going to be important. And it says that in the course of time, Cain brought some of his fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now, where did he learn or where was he taught that he was supposed to be bringing an offering to the Lord? Well, he probably learned that from his mom and dad. He probably learned that from Adam and Eve. The problem is the sacrifice that Adam and Eve made to try to cover their sin, to try to cover their guilt and shame was not uh, approved by God, was not accepted by God. And Cain represents those that still try to do things the earthly way, the fleshly way, justified by works. And it says that in the course of time, he brought some of the fruit of his soil as an offering to the Lord. But then in verse four, it says that Abel 
also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Oh, don't you just love the favor of God? I'm telling you, when you obey God and when you do things God's way, the favor of God is going to be on your life. And do you know something about favor? People don't like favor on your life if favor's not on their life. People hate folks that have the favor of God on their life. Cain did not like Abel. He hated Abel because Abel had the favor of God on his life. Ishmael hated Isaac because Isaac had the favor of God on his life. Esau hated Jacob because Jacob had the favor of God on his life. Joseph's brothers hated him because Joseph had the favor of God on his life. Look at your neighbor and say, you might hate me, but I got the favor of God on my life today. Amen. Thank God for favor. Now I know some of you probably been thinking, man, pastor, where was he at the beginning of this year when he said he had heard from God that this was going to be a year of favor. Listen to me. You and I wouldn't be where we are today in this pandemic if it hadn't been for the favor of God being with us. Amen. So the Lord looks with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Evidently, Cain is doing something here out of of disobedience, that he's not doing what God has required with an offering. Maybe it's the fact that he didn't bring a lamb. Maybe it's the fact that there was not a blood sacrifice involved in this, that, that he's still believing that as a result of his works that he can be justified and he hasn't gotten it yet, that there has to be a shedding of blood if there's gonna be an atoning and a remission of sins. Maybe it's not his sacrifice at all. Maybe it's the attitude of his heart. Maybe he, it's not that God has a problem with the offering that he brought, but, but maybe God has a problem with the attitude that he has, that, that, that maybe he, he already notices. Because see, the Bible says that we look at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And God was able to see some things in Cain that maybe nobody else was able to see. And I don't believe that this incident necessarily brought out the anger and the wrath and the bitterness and the hatred in Cain. I believe that it just revealed what was already in Cain. And so it says that God had favor on Abel, but not on Cain. So Cain was angry. Let let, let me show you a passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, that may give us some clarity about the sacrifices. It says that by faith, everybody say "By by faith. You see, Abel walked by faith. Abel worshiped by faith. Abel understood that what he was doing was more than for just the day and time in which he was living. That what he was doing was a picture, was a shadow, was a type of what was yet to come through Christ. And it says that by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. You see, 
Abel made his sacrifice, brought his offering by faith. Cain didn't. Cain came in unbelief. And look at what the scripture says in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Let's go back now to Genesis and pick up the story. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? And then he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you will do what Abel did, you can have what Abel had. Oh, you just missed a good opportunity to say amen right there. If you'll just do what your brother did and come to me with the right attitude, come to me with the right spirit, come to me with the right sacrifice because what Cain teaches us is this. Cain teaches us that we can come to church and even appear to worship, but our hearts still be far away from God. Jesus talked about those Pharisees when he said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Cain was the kind of person he may have honored God with his lips. He may have honored God with his gestures, but his heart was not right before God. And so God is giving Cain an opportunity here to confess and to repent. And he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Satan is at your door, Cain, and you gotta keep that door shut because if you don't, he will come in, steal, kill, destroy, he will master you. You see, that's why we've gotta keep the doors of the enemy shut. Just because somebody's knocking don't mean you open the door. Amen? And he said, if you do what is right, you'll be okay. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. And if you're not careful, it will rule over you. And that's exactly what happens in this story. Because look at verse 8. It says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And isn't that the way the enemy works? He wants to get you on his territory. Hey, Come on over away from what God has called you to do. Come over here in my territory. Because he knows that if he can get you on his territory, then he can fulfill his purpose to steal and to kill and destroy you. And he says, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, just like he did with Adam and Eve after they had sinned, God came back and asked him a question. He said, where is your brother Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now he's being really sarcastic here because he knows that his brother was a keeper of sheep. And he says, I'm not the shepherd here. I'm the farmer here. I'm not my brother's keeper. And then he goes on in verse 10 and it says, the Lord says to him, what have you done? Listen. Listen. 
Listen. He said that your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Listen, Cain. Do you hear it? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And what happens here is that Abel's blood suddenly becomes his defense attorney and begins to plead his case. I was innocent. I did not deserve this. And when the Bible says that his brother's blood was crying out, it was a cry of injustice. It was a cry of wrath. It was a cry of vengeance. It was a cry that somebody's got to do something against this wrong that has been committed against me. How many millions, maybe even billions of babies have been aborted. But listen to me this morning, Summerton Church of God, their blood cries out. And God hears the voice of their blood. God hears the cry of their blood, a cry of injustice, a cry of being done wrong, a cry of wrath, a cry of vengeance. George Floyd's blood cries out from the earth. Justice was not done. It was injustice. It was, he, he, he was innocent. He, 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 his blood cries out wrath. His blood cries out vengeance. Maybe you're sitting here in this sanctuary here today and at some point in time in your life, somebody committed an act of injustice against you. Maybe somebody raped you. Maybe somebody molested you. Maybe somebody abused you. And you have suffered injustice at the hands. Listen to me. Your blood cries out to God. Your blood cries out injustice. Your blood cries out vengeance. And here's what God says. God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And immediately it says, the blood of your brother cries out out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse. Notice God begins to move immediately to take vengeance on, to, to, to bring justice to injustice. He said, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground. Remember that. When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? They were driven out of the garden. They were driven away from the presence of God. When Cain sinned, what happened? He was driven away from the presence of God. Driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So when we hear the voice of the blood of Abel, it is a voice that cries justice. It is a voice that cries vengeance. It is a voice that cries wrath. It is a vo voice that cries anger. Somebody treated me wrong and somebody needs to pay. Well, I want you to fast forward with me now to Hebrews chapter 12. And the writer of Hebrews here is giving us 
us a comparison between the old covenant and the new covenant. He's giving us a comparison between the old covenant that's represented by the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and he's representing, and he's also talking about the new covenant that is represented by another mountain called Mount Zion. And listen to what the scripture says. He says that you have not come to a mountain that can be touched. In other words, he said, you've not come to a physical mountain, but you, talking about those who have appropriated the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, those who have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus and has been forgiven of your sins. He said, those of you who have done that, he said, you've not come to a spiritual or a physical mountain, but we're gonna find out in a moment that you've come to a spiritual mountain. And he says, you've not come to a physical mountain that can be touched talking about Mount Sinai and that is burning with fire you remember in the Old Testament when Moses went to the mountain to get the law there was fire on the mountain and, and, and that's not a song that's that's a reality but there was fire on the mountain and, and, and he says to darkness to gloom and to storm that's a description of what that mountain that represents the, the, the old covenant looked like and what it was like it says You've not come to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them. You remember the Israelites, if you've read this story, they told Moses, they said, we don't wanna hear from God directly. We're afraid of him we, we, because that's what the law does. The law brings fear. The law separates you from God. The, 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 the law cannot take care of what our primary issue is. And, and, and so they said, Moses, you go up there on the mountain and you hear from God and then you come back and tell us what it is that God said. And then in verse 20, it says, because they could not bear what was commanded that even if an animal touches Mount Sinai, even if an animal touches it, it must be stoned to death. That's how serious the law was. That if you disobeyed God, you deserved to die. That the sentence of disobedience was death. But notice in verse 21, they said that the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, even I am afraid. Even I am trembling with fear. That's what things were like under the old covenant. That's what things were like under the law. And how many of you know that we're not justified by the law? We're justified by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so notice what he said. He said, you've not come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion. Let me tell you what Zion represents. It represents the presence of God. You see in the Old Testament under the old covenant, if you disobeyed God, you were immediately banished from the presence of God. They were driven out of the Garden of Eden. Cain was driven away from the presence of the Lord. But under this new covenant, the blood of Jesus, you know what it does? It gives us access into the presence of God. He brings us into the presence of God, not drives us away from the presence of God. He said that you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the 
heavenly Jerusalem. And then he tells us who all else is there. He says that you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So many angels that you can't count them all. And then he goes on and he says, he says, you also come to the church of the firstborn. The firstborn here is speaking about Jesus. The church are the New Testament saints. That includes all of us who are saints when we die, the New Testament church. And then he says, you've also come to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's the Old Testament saints that are there. And then, he, and then he goes on and this is where it gets really, really exciting. And he says, you've also come in this new covenant. He said, you've come to Jesus who is the mediator. He's the one who has negotiated the terms of the new covenant. And he says that you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood. The sprinkled blood is blood that has been applied to your life. It's not that you just believe it, but you have accepted it. You have received the power of the blood to wash away your sins, to heal and to set free. And he says, this is a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood. Now look at this, that speaks a better word than the blood of and you and I need to be grateful this morning that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel because where the blood of Abel cried out for justice and where the blood of Abel cried out for vengeance and wrath and anger and getting even, the blood of Jesus has a voice too. But instead of it being a voice of vengeance, it's a voice of forgiveness. Instead of it being a voice of wrath, it is a voice of grace and mercy and love love. Oh, somebody ought to get happy here this morning that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. A better word. That's why Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross and dying innocently, was able to look at all of those who were crucifying him and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's why Stephen in Acts chapter 7, when he was being stoned, he was innocent, had committed no crime. And he was being stoned and at the end of his life, just before he died, he said, I looked up and he said, I saw heaven open. And I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And then here's what Stephen prayed. He said, Lord, lay not this sin against them. Because see, when you've been redeemed by the power of the blood of Jesus, it even changes your voice. And instead of crying vengeance over those that have done you wrong, instead of crying wrath and anger and being bitter, instead, because of the power of the blood of Jesus, you're now able to pray for their forgiveness and you're now able to speak mercy and you're able to speak grace and extend mercy and extend grace and extend love even to those who have done you wrong. Somebody ought to be giving God some good praise in this room right now. Because you see, if it had not been for the blood of Jesus, where would you and I be today? Is there anybody in this room 
And team, if you'll just go ahead and come and help me close out this morning. Is there anybody in this room here today that's ever mistreated somebody? You don't have to raise your hand. I already know the answer to that. Let me just tell you right now, before you and I come to Christ, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what you and I deserved. That's what we deserved. We deserved death. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus speaks life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you know this morning that if you have truly been changed by the power of the blood of Jesus, if it's truly changed your heart, it'll change your voice. I had to say this one more time. If you've truly allowed the blood of Jesus to sprinkle your heart, and there's power in the blood of Jesus. And if you've allowed the sprinkled blood of Jesus to be applied to your heart, to truly change who you are, now that you're in Christ, it will change your voice. To where your voice is no longer going around talking about what everybody done did to you. And listen, I don't want to minimize that because I know that some of you have experienced a lot of injustice and pain in your life. But if you've truly been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, instead of crying vengeance, somebody should do something to them. You'll be able to pray, Father, forgive them. And you know what the Father will do? He will do exactly what he did with Cain. He will give them another opportunity. He will give them the opportunity to confess and to repent. Now, if they don't, then yes, they will stand before God. I want you to know they will not get away. They will either settle things at the cross of Jesus here, or they will stand before God on that great day of judgment, and they will experience the wrath and the vengeance of God. But what we're praying because our voice has changed is that they take care of that now before it's too late that we pray for those who have hurt us we pray for those who have mistreated us just like Jesus did just like Stephen did the blood of Jesus can change your voice the blood still speaks and it speaks love. It speaks forgiveness. It speaks grace. It speaks mercy. And that's a good thing because that's what it speaks to every one of us here this morning. It's a better voice than the voice of Abel.
Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.